Win at Work and Life with Nikki Bush is the podcast where you and I explore what it means to win at both work and life. Today, you get to choose how to create a life of meaning and self-expression that includes both your work and life outside the office with your family. In this podcast, I'll be discussing the topic of gender-based violence with Ingrid Lotzer, who believes the world won't change until we stop the lie, hide, repress, deny cycle that both victims and bystanders are trapped in. She draws on hard-learned lessons from being married to an abusive alcoholic, her work as a volunteer in women's empowerment, as well as her 25 years of business ownership. Ingrid is a two-time TEDx speaker and TEDx panelist. She is a connection cultivator, a diversity, equality and inclusion advocate, and a gender equality champion. She co-founded and runs three businesses, Join the Dots, a strategic business consulting and reputation management company, the Join the Dots Academy, which is a training agency, and hers and his, a diversity and inclusion consultancy. And I often get that mixed up and I say his and hers. And it's just such a default setting that we are so wired to put the his before the hers. Ingrid is an associate member of the Professional Speakers Association of Southern Africa and is an accredited public relations practitioner. She's also one gutsy and courageous woman. Ingrid, thank you for joining us on the Win at Work and Life podcast to share your personal experience and professional insights on the really tough topic of gender-based violence to help both those who are struggling as well as the bystanders to change the cycle of lie, hide, repress, deny. And let's kick off with that brilliant line that you've developed of lie, hide, repress, deny. Does it apply only to gender-based violence? And welcome to the show. Thank you, Nikki. I'm delighted to be with you. And absolutely not, it does not only apply to gender-based violence. In fact, lie, hide, repress, deny can be applied to our lives in terms of humankind, as well as in the corporate environment. So Corporate-wise, we, we tend to go, okay, well, you know, so somebody has stolen a pencil, for instance, or does this on a regular basis. Oh, not my business, not my problem. From a gender-based violence perspective, it doesn't matter whether you're the victim, the perpetrator, or the witness. Oh, lie, hide, repress, deny. Not my business, not my problem. And then from a personal perspective, we're either struggling financially or we've, we're struggling with work or whatever. It, and that, again, applies lie, hide, repress, deny, and it doesn't serve anybody anywhere. So this is very deep ingrained patterning that we've all had for years and years and maybe generations to um, really keep that conspiracy of silence. And as long as it looks okay on the outside, that's what counts. But actually, things are often very messy on the inside. Okay. So denial is the most common psychological defense mechanism, and it actually has a, a physiological effect on us, not only as the people that are denying whatever it is, but also on the people around us. So there's research done by Gross and Levenstein, where they split people into two groups and showed them disturbing procedures, medical procedures. One group were allowed to actually show their emotions and the other group had to pretend that they were absolutely a-okay. Needless to say, the group that pretended that they were okay, so that were in denial, had fundamental um, cardiovascular changes in their bodies, shortness of breath, 
quick heart rate, sweaty, sweaty palms. And what happened then subsequent to, to that is those people's behaviors impacted the other people around them because there was a way of speaking to other people. Anger came into play. We, the, those people weren't necessarily connecting the way that they normally do. So denial has a real impact on humankind in general. How do victims support the cycle of lie, hide, repress, deny themselves? I mean, you've lived through this. I think it's quite complicated. And what comes into play is that we, there is a lot of shame and there's guilt. And it's the oddest thing, but actually we tend to blame ourselves in many, uh, many instances. There's also fear that comes into play. I don't want people to know what is happening in my life and how am I going to be if I actually have to change things? Will I be okay? And then there's also this naive belief that, well, you know, love conquers all. I will be able to change things. Um, yeah, just I believe in the marriage vows that I've taken or whatever it might be. So victims have a role to play in perpetuating what we do because we also lie, hide, repress, and deny. And it's so interesting because in the middle of my story, I, was, I became such a perfect liar. And the lies that I, I started saying were things like, oh, no, 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 uh, this black eye, no, I walked into a kitchen, a kitchen cupboard. And the weirdest thing is when I was saying these lies, everybody else around me was playing the same game of this lie, hide, repress, deny. So nobody actually said to me, oh, really, is that really true? It was like, oh, well, don't worry, honey, you know, things will be fine. You must just be careful or whatever it might be. So this lie, hide, repress and deny is a thing that we do in general, not only from a gender-based violence perspective, but it could be in a corporate culture. It could be in society in general, in terms of living in a certain community. You spoke in one of your other previous podcasts about tribes. In a certain tribe, there is this lie, hide, repress, deny that happens because we have in this agreement that we're not going to be talking about a certain person who harasses everybody, as an example. Um, and it, everybody plays the game, which doesn't help. So, so let's have a look at how bystanders support this cycle. It's difficult enough when there's a car accident and people don't want to be the witnesses because they don't want to be dragged through the courts. They don't want to have to give statements. It must be even worse when it comes to things like gender-based violence. Absolutely. And I think this, that is actually one of the biggest problems. It's not my business and not my problem. And we do that whether it's gender-based violence or whether it is something that is happening in our business. So let's lie, hide, repress, and deny about how the management level in the corporate are always late for meetings, as an example. And it's hard to step into speak up early and often, which is something that we say, not only from a gender-based violence perspective, but in a corporate environment with our hers and his workshops, what we teach and what I teach from, a, from all aspects, whether it's personal or within corporates, is that we need to build skills. And those skills are around being able to speak up early and often. So just saying to somebody, well, Nikki, you, 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 you saw this, why didn't you speak up? There, is, there are certain things that need to be in play and in place before it is easy for you to speak, uh, stand up and speak up. 
So stopping the lie, hide, repress, and deny needs certain skills or a situation which, which is around, is there psychological safety in the environment? And if there isn't psychological safety as a gender-based violence, if I speak up, the family will reject me or in a corporate environment, if I speak up, will I lose my, my position within the organization? And the, the way to do it is there, there are ways of being and speaking and doing that can be taught and that can be put into play. So we, we don't have much time now, but as a way of helping people understand what they can do to speak up earlier and often, there are almost like scripts that we teach that then say, okay, right, even in a gender-based violence situation is speaking up and saying, when you did, as, as an example with my ex, uh, when he was sober, and when I, say, uh, uh, when I said to him, when you did X and Y, the impact on me was it, it made me feel like I was less than and not worthy. Was it your intention? So that's kind of the script that goes. And in a moment of sanity and sobriety, he could understand what I was trying to say and then we can connect. So cultivating connection is something that we, that is the basis of everything that we talk about. And cultivating connection requires certain things in terms of being able to communicate with one another clearly and in the right way at the right time. So it's teaching the victims, the perpetrators and the witnesses how to speak up, when to speak up and where to speak up. And those are really all about tools and skills that we teach. That's a very big task that you set yourself in the work that you do because it's so multi-layered and everybody has to come to the party and almost be part of this dance in order for it to happen. But so many people are suffering in abusive situations where this framework doesn't exist. And I'm thinking of when are you able to step out of the situation it's only really when you, as the victim, decide enough's enough. Something provokes you to a point where you just draw a line in the sand and you know that you have to actually get out. That survival mechanism has got to get to a point where you know that if you stay, I guess your life is on the line. Or your children. Absolutely. All your children, yes. So for me, it was actually my children that, that was, there is normally a point that happens at which there is a decision, this can't carry on. And it might be something that happens to you. For me, it was my children. It was okay for my ex to abuse me, but the moment he threw my little girl all the way down the passage where she hit something and it fell on top of her, that in that moment, I remember it very clearly. It was okay, this is it, I'm done. And so for other people who are in the midst of a violent situation right now, one of the things that we try and show people is what is it that you're wanting for your life? So we, as victims, often we put our needs and our wants for our life on hold mm -hmm. because we're in a pattern of just coping with what is happening right now. Surviving so day by day, survival, moment by moment, and you sublimate right. your needs, your wants to the survival of the day until there's a defining moment of some description which raises your level of self-awareness 
that this is not how my life is going to continue. Absolutely. And a beautiful example of this work is it's not necessarily the person that is being abused that might actually make the decisions. It might be somebody else, so an uh, ally that makes the change. So, so by way of an example, we were speaking to, we do coaching and we were speaking to somebody who was saying, I suspect one of my staff members is going through some personal stuff and I don't know how to cope with this. And so we gave him some ideas in terms of how he could broach the subject gracefully and what he could say. And then if, if it was such, what he needed to do in order to support her. It turns out that absolutely, yes, his intuition was correct. She was uh, facing abuse at home. And he was able to say to her, I can't help you other than to be a support uh, mechanism for you. Here are the organizations because he had them on hand because of us. He then allowed his whole team to know that there was something going on without breaking confidentiality and she was supported. So in the support at work rather than at home because she couldn't find support at home, she was able to break the cycle because somebody stood up and said, I will be your ally. So not only about the person that's being abused that breaks the cycle, it might be somebody else that is standing up and saying, I'm noticing something's happening for you. Can I help? You talk about taking steps. Yeah. Can you just give us that line about taking steps forward, backwards or sideways? So one of the things we say is because this is such a huge thing to address and it doesn't, it doesn't only have to be about gender-based violence. It could be how do we address uh, criminality? How can we address toxicity in, in an organization and we always say just take one step so in a gender-based violence example to the victims take a step sideways towards somebody that can help you to the witnesses take a step up and speak up to the perpetrators take a step down and seek help and to those who have not been touched by gender-based violence Take a step towards learning more so that you can be an ally. And just if you imagine that each of us just takes this one little step, the massive impact that we can have on addressing gender-based violence and all the other ills that we have in society. What you're describing is a, an ecosystem, an active ecosystem where everybody's taking steps and it works. Because then you actually, in a way, it's like a net. You're shutting it down. You're shutting it down. You're bringing that net tighter and tighter. And in a way, people then can't hide because we have people who are aware and awake who are actually prepared to step up. Talk to us about children because you had two children in this abusive relationship and you stayed for 10 years, which is a long time of abuse. And we forget how learning happens that it's repetition, repetition, repetition. And the more repetition there's been over a long period of time, the more things are ingrained. This is the natural way children learn. You've got a story about your son, which I think is rather a significant one to share about how he has drawn a line in the sand himself. Yeah. It's a beautiful story about breaking the cycle of violence. So to set the scene in terms of the cycle of violence first, what I need to explain is that 
research was done by the United um, States Justice Department, where they found that the circle of violence was around children who have either witnessed or experienced violence in their lives have a propensity towards either being violent themselves or choosing a violent partner. So it's based on research in terms of the cycle of violence. And what happened was my son specifically, but my, my daughter was in a, in a different way. The pattern that he picked up was his reaction was violence first from a very early age. So as soon as he got frustrated or angry um, with anybody, but uh, often it was with his younger sister, he would grab her around the neck and strangle her or try and squish her. Or, and it wasn't play. It was really imitating what he had seen happen um, from his biological father. And as he grew up, he, he realized, I think by the age of 15, he was like, this is not okay. It's not serving me every time I behave in this, in, in this specific way. And so he speaks about how the cycle of violence stops with him. And so he's done healing and he's done work where he's looked at, first of all, where the patterns come from, where this behavior comes from. And I love what he says. He always says that I realized the changing point was when I realized that rage and violence only makes things worse. And so the cycle of violence stops with me, which means that I will choose to be different with my partners and I will choose to be a different father when I get there. So he's choosing to respond rather than react because he's chosen to understand his triggers, which is so mature. And I know you tell this story with his permission and yes. he's done the work and it's tough work. This, I mean, the work that you're committed to helping people get out of these abusive relationships to empower themselves, helping with corporate bullying, whatever it is that you're helping with, this is all tough stuff. And, you know, I think you are able to, to give insight because of where you've been, the journey you have walked, because you understand the psyche behind all of this, both from uh, a perpetrator's perspective, uh, the victim's perspective, the bystander's perspective. And it, it reminds me of, in a way it's a game, but this is a game of life, real life and life and death. And if it's not life and a physical death, there's also that metaphorical death. You were talking about giving yourself away uh, you know, not asking for what you need, not leading the life that you want to lead. And so there's, there's a lot of awareness that's required. But when your life is so much in danger every single day, that must be incredibly difficult to spot that moment as an individual, which then, you know, speaks to the fact that you need support, you need people, you need society to be watching, and to be reading the signs, so to speak. Yes. So cultivating connection is something we speak, you'll hear me saying it over and over and over again. And that connection between human beings uh, is really critical in terms of the change. So the connection around me, first of all, understanding what is going on for me and being able to step into something different is one thing. And then the other thing is this systemic change that you spoke about earlier. So it doesn't matter whether it is gender-based violence or, as you say, corporate bullying or uh, unconscious bias or conflict within the workplace. There are certain things that we can and should do 
to change um, the way things are. So having courageous conversations is hard and it is the only way that we can um, instigate change. And those courageous conversations are around um, stopping and listening, as an example, speaking and uh, your truth, but in a way that is graceful. So that's nonviolent communication that we teach. And in all of those things, these are skills that are first of all teachable. And second of all, they span not only the corporate environment or gender-based violence, but our lives in general. So when you trigger me as an example, if I had the skills, I am then able to say to you, Nikki, when you did this, the impact on me was X and Y. With the view of keeping in relationship with one another, can we work with this? rather than holding on to resentments and then I never speak to you and you don't know why I'm not speaking to you and there is something in the way of a clean and clear relationship. You've got a three-step solution that you that you teach and that you share. I think that would be really good for our listeners to hear. So we mentioned earlier that it is take a step and it, anybody just a small step take a step whether it is learning something stepping away or stepping towards something just doing something. And one of the things that I say over and over again is speaking about it or posting it on social media is not taking a step, do something. Whether it is stepping into volunteering in a relevant organization. If you don't have time to volunteer, give money to a relevant um, organization that's gonna help wherever it is that your passion lies. It can even be in climate change. It doesn't matter, take a step. The other one is around changing the narrative. So when we talk about gender-based violence, the narrative sits in patriarchy, it sits in stereotypes and accepted stereotyping, and it sits in gender-based norms. And so we can't change the narrative. We're like, well, Nikki, hers is first before his. It's around actually being curious as to whether that should be in play. And so the invitation is for all, for all of us is to just be curious about what we're accepting as whether it's right or wrong, or is that, is that something that I'm wanting to accept or not? And the narrative actually is broader than that. So is the narrative within our company that we're absolutely okay to pretend that punctuality doesn't matter rather than, so what are those narratives? and then changing them. And then the last one is around cultivating connection. And over and over again, when we have human beings connecting as human beings, when we are our sisters and our brother's keepers, when we speak our truth early and often, when we listen, not to just to respond, but to actually hear what the other people, what other people are saying, when we try and understand other people's lived experiences, that connection allows us to address whatever it is. And everything that I've said, by the way, in this chat that we've had applies to racism and diversity and inclusion just as much as it does to gender-based violence. What you're doing is really cultivating a safe space for these conversations to happen, for the curiosity to be activated, for people to start questioning and asking uh, rethinking the norms really at the end of the day, which we is so hardwired into us that so often we don't even give it a second thought. But creating those safe spaces in a business 
versus creating those safe spaces within a family environment, although it might sound similar, must be quite different. They say in Thailand, same thing, but different. Um, yes, so psychological safety applies in, in all aspects, whether it is your church environment, your family environment, your small business or your corporate envi environment, creating psychological safety is, is hard, A. B, it's teachable. C, it, there are skills involved in it. So it's not something that, oh no, I, ha I have a, a high psychological safety IQ. Um, there, is, there, there are steps and ways of putting psychological safety into play. And it's, I love the, the example of my own family because um, my, I, I, I now am married again, happily, and we have a mixed environment in terms of we have my children and his children, we don't have an us children. And we had to find a way of having a language that all of us understand. And that language and that way of being with one another is something that we have journeyed together and allowed space. So I allow space for you to speak to me and say, I'm not okay with that. We allow space to, to go, okay, right, well, you can opt out without me judging you. Um, and it's the same within all the environments as well. It's a co-creation of what is okay and what is not okay that creates that safe space. Because if I know what's okay and not okay, then I can start to trust the environment that I'm in. If I start to trust the environment that I in, then it's easier to speak up early and often. If I speak early up early and often, then it is easier for us to connect and stop things that escalate. So we stop it at the beginning rather than it gets to a point which is like me landing up in hospital. If I had spoken up earlier and often in my marriage, it probably either would have ended sooner, which would have been great, or we could have gone on a different path where there was more accountability, where there was more communication around what's okay and not okay, rather than me just being like hydroperson deny. So what we're talking about here is communication equality, where everybody yep. gets airtime and you're allowed to say what you need to say, which builds trust, which also diffuses um, the negativity. It diffuses the name, blame and shame. It diffuses the potential that's sitting there for things to go wrong because we're now dealing with it quickly. 100%. I guess it's also teaching respect for another human being, the basis of respecting each other. So interestingly enough, yes, it would be lovely if we could all respect one another. And the truth is actually sometimes we can't. And what we can do is be curious about one another. So whilst I might not necessarily respect somebody who might as an example, steal um, stationery from the stationery cupboard. I can be curious about that person's lived experience. And in my curiosity and openness in my heart and mind, build an understanding of why that person does what they do. Then there is a tolerance. So we don't try and teach respect because that is really something that's innate and different to everybody. But what we can teach is we can teach ways of being curious and we can teach ways of having open conversations. Like whilst you might not feel it in your heart and your mind, you can 
still have a script that opens up a conversation that allows for understanding. And when you understand somebody better, I love the story that in one of our workshops that we um, do, we use story as a way of, and I know that you've done story in one of your other po podcasts as well. Story is a, is a powerful way of getting people to shift how they see things. And in one of the stories um, that we had, we were sharing, the women in the room were sharing how showing your panties is a, a thing that we are taught from a very young age as girls that you mustn't do. Therefore, we can't climb on the jungle gym. Therefore, we're not as um, physical as the boys because I'm going to show my panties. And in that moment, in one of the workshops that we had, this, this man burst into tears. And we were like, well, what's going on? And he said, I have to share with you, I'm having an argument with my ongoing argument with my wife right now where I'm insisting that my daughter wears skirts and, um, and dresses. And for the first time, I realized what my, my wife is saying. There is a huge impact on how my daughter plays. He literally went home, fetched his daughter, went and got some leggings and took her to the jungle gym so that he could play. So the understanding and lived experience through story is really powerful in terms of being able for us to shift what we see and how we treat one another, which is that cultivating connection thing. Mm, I think that is a beautiful story. And I love that word shift because that's what we want is we want our curiosity to create a shift in one direction or another because shift is better than standing still and doing nothing. Being curious is an action and an attitude it's not just a state of mind. It, if you're really curious, you're asking questions, you're playing with, I like to say, playing on the edges of the pond, sometimes yes. where it's uncomfortable. And this topic we're talking about today, gender-based violence, is a very uncomfortable subject. People really Absolutely. don't want to see it. They don't really want to get involved with it if they don't have to get involved with it. And, and yet it is such a huge feature in our society. So you really, you really do have a, a strong call to those of us who've not experienced it directly to just be a little more curious about what is going on out there and how many people does it impact on. And yes, it's something we see in the movies, but it could be happening next door. Absolutely. And actually, it's just so interesting that you say it could be happening next door. So for me, in that time, it was only years later, my neighbor said to me, I heard what was going on, but we went, ah, oh, no, not our business, not our problem. So I am pretty sure that there are neighbors and friends and family that have heard things, have seen things that completely just lie, hide, repress and deny because it's not my problem. And you use, I use the word shift that you uh, pointed out. If we just shift towards an understanding of going, okay, right, well, this is my problem. This is my business. And if it is my problem, and if it is my business, then what is it that I am going to do? What tiny step can I make today or tomorrow that will shift things? So you're really saying we all have to take responsibility for our role in this situation, because even if we don't know if it's going on next door or not, we still have a role to be alert, to be aware, 
And if we do see something to actually take that small step and show Absolutely. some support. What comes up for me is that it must be a really lonely place to be when you're in an abusive relationship. It is extremely lonely. And it's lonely for a number of reasons because I mentioned shame earlier. I don't want people to know what's going on for me. So I can't be honest. And even when I have friends around me, those friends actually don't truly know what is going on in, in my life. And that is one of the key points in terms of being able to start the healing process and start the, the move to something better in your life is to connect with others. Find places where there are people that are going through the same thing so that you can connect because it is so lonely. And in that isolation, it actually that puts you in a cage of this perpetual motion of pretending that you're okay and not getting out of the situation. Mm. And how important is it that you seek the help of people who have walked this road before? For me, it was, a, it was one of the key things. And I would imagine that it is in my experience in helping other women, mainly because I do a women's empowerment work, but um, my husband does uh, work with men and it's the same thing for them. Knowing that you are not alone in your experience, knowing that there are others who have gone through the same thing, and also learning from other people's experiences and what worked and, and didn't work is really key for moving things, shifting things, healing things. And in, a, in an abusive situation, so often there's that moment in time when you decide that this is it, it's done, I'm out of here. What do you need to have prepared? Is this a moment in time where just out of the blue you decide this is done? Or do you prepare slowly but surely for that, that moment where you're going to leave? Because often lives are at stake here. I mean, this is not just emotional abuse here. This could be physical life is actually at stake. Absolutely. And by the way, in this country, because I know having got one, a protection order actually doesn't protect what? Wow. So one of the things, yeah, it, it really didn't help me at all. And it hasn't helped many women. But one of the things... I'm so glad to say is that there is so much information out there from local corporates as well as international organizations. The UN Women has got the most amazing hub of information. But there's also companies like Vodacom who have got an app that gives you information in terms of what you need to do, what you need to prepare, who to contact, here are the contact details. And in addition to that, it's, it's in stealth mode. So, so nobody knows that you have it on your phone as an example. So there is a wealth of information that is easily found for perpetrators, victims, witnesses, what to look for, how to be an ally. There's a lot of information out there. And with all that information out there, there still needs to be a decision by the individual to go, I need to look for that information and take the right steps. What I would say is never decide on a whim to leave. It, it's, it's not a good idea. Um, it will backfire from a number of perspectives in terms of not being financially sound, not psychologically ready for it, uh, not ready in terms of the support systems around you. It is a purposeful process that needs to be started and stepped through. 
including having things like documents at the ready that you might need, what would those be? So anything that is that is relevant to your life in general. So there, there is a list actually that you can find. But by way of an example, do you have your passport, your ID book, now your vaccination card, all your, your banking details, proof of whatever else you need, whether it is inoculation cards for your children or whatever. Do you have them in a safe place that was all together so that when you eventually decide to leave, that you have those things available rather than trying to find them or recreate them from scratch. There, there are all sorts of other things as well. So what are the things that I am needing to immediately start an, a life somewhere else? And if I don't have anything, where can I go to find that? Are there safe houses? How long can I be in a safe house for? When I leave that safe house, what is going to happen next? And I, the, the thing that really makes me very happy which is odd because in the time of, of the pandemic, you would imagine that gender-based violence has been at the bottom of the, the priority list. I am happy to tell you that corporates have invested in putting together gender-based violence programs, support systems. They have allocated funds for their staff to be able to um, have support or go to safe houses and whatever. And we saw during, from 2020 all the way through this year, we saw a genuine uptick in corporates going, we need to have the conversation. We need to normalize the conversation around gender-based violence, what it means, how you can support, uh, what it means to be an ally. Mm. But Ingrid, as we finish off this amazing conversation, such a brave conversation, sharing your journey, sharing some of your children's insights with us. Have you got any closing comments and where can our listeners connect with you? So my closing comment is that the place to start is being aware of your own lie, hide, repress and deny. Because actually when we start connecting with our own lying, hiding and repressing, denying, then we can be aware of it in big situations as we call it in terms of gender-based violence or corporate culture or church culture or whatever it might be. And the example is actually exactly yesterday where I got angry with somebody that I serve on a volunteer basis. And in my anger, realizing what I was repressing and denying in terms of my own stuff made me stop and go, oh, okay. So in order to stay clear with this person, I need to not repress and deny. So the, the invitation for everybody is to start noticing in the small ways for your own good. Where to find us? I think the easiest thing is to either search for hers and his now, which is on Facebook, or you can search for hers, hers first, hers and his on LinkedIn, or you can find Join the Dots Academy, which has an outline of what we do in terms of our training and workshops for hers and his, as well as join the dots in communication. Or email awesome at hersandhisnow.co.za. Oh, that's fantastic. Ingrid, thank you so much. What struck me from our conversation, a few little pearls that are staying with me, apart from this amazing lie, hide, repress, deny, which I think, you know, you've just said any situation can be a mirror for you to investigate and be curious about what you are lying about hiding, 
repressing and denying. But be curious, be invitational, invite that shift to understand. And of course, that lovely line from your son, the cycle of violence stops with me. And that applies to every single person who is listening to this podcast today. So Ingrid, again, thank you so much. And to our listeners, please send through your comments, questions, and topic suggestions to info at nickybush.com. And you're invited to share this podcast with your friends and colleagues to empower them to win at work and life too.